0: Good morning, fellowship family. I'm so glad that you came out on this cold morning to worship together. And this morning, I don't don't know where your heart is coming into the the room this morning. If maybe you had a difficult week, maybe, maybe you had a joyful week, but we're gathered this morning to do two things, to remember and to celebrate. So the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the miracles of long ago. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you to remember how God redeemed you. If, if you've felt distant, or you felt cold towards that, remember this morning that his mighty arm redeemed you saved you and what he's done in your life. And I wanna invite you to celebrate this morning what he's done for you. And if you're here and you don't know God, you don't, you're not sure about the whole God thing, I wanna invite you to celebrate with us and hear the stories of what God has done. So if you would, if you would stand with us this morning, we're gonna to sing together, we're gonna to celebrate what God has done for us.
1: What an awesome morning. We get to celebrate the faithfulness of God to change lives, the faithfulness of God in his goodness and his grace, and we get to celebrate that through the ordinance of baptism. Jesus adopted uh, an ancient ritual, and he He loaded it with symbolism of what it means for him to change our lives and to wash us clean, and we get to celebrate that with Lauren this morning. So, Mason, would you share just some of her story? You can step up here with me.
2: Yeah, so Lauren, um, I've had the pleasure of her being my teammate here at Arkansas on the dance team for three years now. And ever since I met Lauren, she was immediately accepting of me and just took me in as her friend before I even met her, um, I remember. And she's been that way with everybody that she knows. That's one of the things I noticed, the fruit of the spirit that she really exudes are love, joy, generosity, um, patience. And through getting to know her, I was shocked to know that she hadn't fully surrendered her life to the Lord yet, but I made it so easy to bring her to church with me and talk about small groups and to, you know, exchange podcasts and lessons, and so um, it's been a joy to see her, like, curiosity for the Lord just grow, and her to just, like, fully give herself to that. I mean, the openness and acceptingness, like, of what the Lord has to offer in this life has been has been. Encouraging for me to refine that new kind of childlike faith again too, and so it's been a it's been a joy to see all of those other fruits of the spirit come out of her over time. So I'm proud of you, and yeah, it's the best decision you'll ever make.
1: Well, just to, I asked her to remind me when did when did Jesus change your life? Just right back here, and she said actually here recently, and it was through her. So thank you. Um, it what we do matters in following Jesus. And so Lauren, is it your story, your testimony that Jesus is your King, and you want to follow Him for the rest of your life? Absolutely. It is my privilege and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit.
3: Great is Your faithfulness to me, Great is Your faithfulness to me, From the rising sun to the
4: Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Can you think of a better way to start the morning? Isn't that incredible? Man, I love baptism because I love how it is just such a clear indicator of a changed life in Jesus. That's incredible. Well, we are so glad that you're here this morning. Thank you for being here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Andy Petrie, and I have the privilege of uh, leading our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at at Fellowship Fayetteville every single Friday night. Uh, And if, if you're not familiar with what Celebrate Recovery is, it's a ministry here at our church that helps our church to be a safe place for us to navigate through life's hurts and struggles so that we can find hope and encouragement, vulnerability and community as we walk closer to Jesus together. And I'm so grateful that we have it because it shows that this church is a place where it's okay to not be okay and to recognize that we have a God that loves us right here where we're at but he loves us far too much to leave us where we're at. Uh, and so this, this morning uh, when you walked in, you probably noticed that there was a business card on y'all seats, and you're probably wondering why. Well, let me let me tell you why that's there for you know. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, on one of our Celebrate Recovery podcasts here at, here at Fellowship, I was reminded of, of something really cool that, that happened through Fellowship CR several, several years ago. There was a, a couple that moved here to Northwest Arkansas, and they got plugged into Fellowship. They started attending a community group, and, and one night at one of their community group meetings, their leaders said, hey, we're going to go check this thing out on Friday night called Celebrate Recovery. And so they all went together as a community group, and, uh, and, and, and the, they, they all thought it was great, and and the wife said, you know, yeah, this is great, but I don't think it's for me, but the husband, Joe, he said, I love this, and he started attending. He had some stuff in his life. He had a pornography addiction that he wanted to actually work on and find some healing in, And, and over the next year, God did some incredible, incredible things in Joe's life, but one of the most remarkable things that happened was about a year later, Joe found some emails that clued him in that there was some problems going on in his marriage, and he went to Karina and he, he asked her about them and she admitted to some stuff that was going on and rather than Joe blowing up in anger like he normally would and storming off, he simply looked at his wife, told her that he loved her and he said, hey, if you're willing to do the work, we're gonna make it through this. And that next week, they started coming to celebrate recovery together. God healed their marriage, and that was over 15 years ago. And another really cool layer of that story for me is that eight years ago, when I first walked in to celebrate recovery, I didn't have anybody that I could trust with my stuff. And my first night there, I met a guy named Joe. And that man became one of my closest friends and a huge part of my recovery and my story. All because somebody said, hey, Let's go and check this thing out. And I wish I could meet that community group leader and shake his hand because that invite changed my life. And so here's the ask. Uh, If you've never checked out Celebrate Recovery here at Fellowship Fayetteville, come and check us out on a Friday night. We meet every single Friday at 7 p.m. over in the Student Center and it's a great experience. But also, since all of us are broken people and all of the relationships that we have are with broken people, there's a chance that some of us might know some people that are going through some tough stuff and need the same hope that we have found in Jesus if we're a follower of Jesus. I'd invite you, just hand them that card. Tell them what we do here on Friday nights and go with them. And then point them towards the other things that we've got going on, our podcast, Hope and Recovery, our step study groups that we have available for sign up right now, uh, and, just point them towards what we do. And if you're looking for a really easy night to come and in t- attend, we've got something really exciting coming up here on February 17th. We're celebrating four years of having Celebrate Recovery here at our Fellowship Fayetteville campus, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah, we can clap for that. And, and four years of celebrating the life change and the hope that's been happening just here on this campus of Fellowship. And so we we would really encourage you to check it out and invite somebody to come with you. You never know what might happen to your life or the life of somebody else, and you never know what might happen eight years from now either. So let me pray for us and come before this God that loves us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your love, the way that you meet us in the middle of our brokenness, even the brokenness that we carried with us here in this room today. God, I pray that this morning, Would point us closer to you and Lord, that you would just meet us in this place. It's in Jesus' name,
0: amen. As Andy mentioned, uh, we all carry hurts and habits and hang ups, we're all broken. Uh, And so, we've been taking time in each service just to agree with God about who we are and who He is. We call that confession. It's a confession that we haven't lived the way that he wants us to live. So we're going to read these words together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sins. We are in need of a Savior. Now, if you're in Christ this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, these things are true for you. There's good news that He has forgiven us, that He's given us a Savior. So, church, believe the good news. Say this with me Jesus died for us, Jesus rose for us, Jesus intercedes for us. In Him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand as we celebrate what he's done?
3: has been satisfied.
5: For Haman, son of Hamathida, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pur, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days were called purim from the word pur. Because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who would join them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews. Nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants.
6: Thank you, Kate. You may be seated. Matt, come on up here. My name is Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And wow, what a room this morning, Matt. Um, this is my friend Matt Slavic, and uh, Matt serves as team lead with our connections ministry here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And so, from Highway 112, or Dean Solomon, to the front doors of this room, uh, you get to lead volunteer teams that take care of us on Sunday mornings. And uh, so we're incredibly grateful for you. And, uh, and we wanted to have Matt just share a few um, highlights of opportunities where if you haven't found a place, a home place to serve, um, what are some of those opportunities, Matt?
1: Thanks, Clark. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd love to talk about those. Uh, yeah, so kind of from the outside in, we have parking, uh, so you get to wear a cool orange vest if you're like a Longhorn or a ball fan, maybe? Anybody? <laughs> no? Okay. Uh, so parking is kind of the first face of people here. Um, you get to help, the, help somebody find a parking spot and just wave somebody, say hello. Uh, then we have greeters at the door. So you kind of get to be the first voice of, of uh, fellowship as people walk in, say hello, how, how's it going, whatever you want to talk about. Um, then we have the real reason you guys are here, which is the coffee. Uh, everybody <laughs> loves coffee and Clark, but, ooh, coffee I'm Clark. a tea guy, coffee by the way, yeah. I like that. Um, so coffee is just, you kind of get to serve up a warm cup of coffee and a warm smile. You know, this goes a long way. Then we have our information table, uh, and that's right out here at the information booth, and that's kind of finding out more about the church, uh, how you can get involved in a community group, that kind of stuff, and that's where I'll be after this service. Uh, Then we have security, Uh, so we have some officers and some other guys that volunteer their time uh, to make sure this is a safe worship space on a Sunday morning. So if you have any questions about that, I'll be in the foyer uh, right after this. You can come talk to me, tell me a funny joke. Um, I think maybe there's not a QR code. Yeah,
6: which by the way, the the last group that you talked about, our security team, they don't want to be seen in here, but they do an incredible job behind the scenes of making sure our children and you... Um, feel safe in this place, and so I wanted to give them a hand. They're not going to stand and be recognized, but um, week in, week out, Friday nights, college nights, uh, holidays, they're here with us, taking care of us, and so we love and appreciate you guys. Thank you, Matt, so much for being with us this morning. Hey, I want to celebrate something. We are celebrating um, this thing called the Feast of Purim. Um, here as we wrap up Easter, and I I didn't want to miss an opportunity to celebrate something really cool that happened um, two weeks ago that hasn't been true of this church in 25 years. Is that crazy or what? Did you know that out of Rogers, in the last six and a half years, God has given us Fellowship Fayetteville, and he's given us Fellowship Bentonville, along with Mosaic and our Rogers congregation as well. And um, two weeks ago, um, there were gifts that were given, both small and large, that allowed us to pay off in full all debt for all of Fellowship Northwest Arkansas. And, there, and one of the things I wanted to commend you and thank you for my, my congregation here at Fellowship Fayetteville is you played a very crucial role in launching and paying for Bentonville, as they did for us six and a half years ago, and you're to be committed for your generosity in the Lord. And so we're incredibly grateful for what God's doing. Um, Obviously, especially if you were here at 1030 last week, some of you are wondering, what's next? I had to park out by Dean Solomon last week. And so our staff continues to pray on what God will do and how he will multiply his fingerprints all over Northwest Arkansas. And so we celebrate, and on behalf of the elders, they wanted me to say thank you um, for that. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Esther chapter 9. Don't feel ashamed of using your table of contents if you need to go there. Once again, to get there, um, we're going to um, look at this last scene in this narrative, Esther Chapters 9 and 10, and then we'll begin um, our study in the uh, book of Daniel next week. Um, Last week, uh, Tad did an amazing job, which, by the way, if you missed that, the Disney form of Esther would encourage you not just to listen, but you're going to have to watch, and so you're going to have to go back to our live stream and watch that. I am not going to attempt to do that kind of recap, and I know some of you appreciate me not trying that. Um, Tad is gifted. And uh, But for purposes of just a recap and getting us caught up to where we're at, in week one, Garland set us up for the purpose of Esther. Even when it looks like God is not with us, he remains faithful to his promises. So how does that impact us? We are to trust and obey him with courage and conviction. In week two, um, Michael walked us through chapter four. He helped us see that God is sovereign and he's in control. So his people are called to courageously act in faith. And then last week, Tad reminded us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the sovereign hand of God. And today, we're going to see that sovereign yet hidden hand of God. Remember the word God is not used in this narrative. And we see some coincidence, coincidences that aren't necessarily coincidences. Uh, God is working a plan to rescue his people. He's the faithful covenant keeping God. He's committed to his people in spite of their unfaithfulness. He's going to keep his promises. And as Tad was teaching last week, the day before in my daily Proverbs reading, I came across this verse. And it was a great devotional reminder of some of the big things that I've been learning from the book of Esther. It was this Proverbs 21.1 verse, the king's heart is like channels in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. Paul affirms this in Romans 13.1. He says there is no authority except that which has, God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I think it's a great comfort for us in this world, be it a, a faithful, righteous Jewish king, be it a, Persian, a pagan Persian king, Xerxes, or in the time and the day we live, God is in control and he's moving kings and princes and presidents around to accomplish his faithful promises to his people, the Jews, and to bring a light, Jesus, to the Gentiles. That's what God's doing in history, and we can take comfort in that. And so today, as we walk through our narrative, we're going to see these three, um, these three captions that kind of move us through the story. We're going to see a table turned, we're going to see a feast of joy, and we're going to see a Jew exalted. And so we're going to pick it up here in the middle of verse one. On this day, what day? The 13th day, the 12th month, the month of Adar. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. Notice the use of language here. But now the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. And you can see um, a grandpa telling his story over a campfire to a grandson. And he's looking back a few generations. He's your great-great-grandpa was there when this happened. And, and he's pulling him in. He's, the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. Verse 2, the Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces, 127 of them, of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. In verses 3 and 4, it goes on to say that one of the reasons is that Mordecai had rose to prominence, Esther's cousin who had taken her in to take care of her, and he's been promoted, and he has power, and his influence with the king has grown, and they stood in that fear. There's a couple of things that, that we need to understand that are going on. There's two things happening at the same time. We have to go back to chapter 3, verse 13. This is the first edict that the king granted at the request of Haman for the Jews to be taken out. 3.13, dispatches were sent out. This is edict number one. By couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to do what? To destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. Young and old, women and children, on a single day. What day? The 13th day of the 12th month. In chapter 8, verse 11, when the tables were turned, there's another edict that goes out. It doesn't cancel the first one, but it sets up what we have here in chapter 9 it sets up a war. This edict goes out after Mordecai and Esther's influence with the king, and it grants the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. So that's what we have going on here in chapter nine. These two edicts are happening on this one day at the same time, and it would bleed over into another day of battle. But as we consider this table turned, it tells and captures much of what this story is about. If you're going to remember some of the big ideas to it. Consider this fun way of remembering it. You have a quiet Esther who becomes a powerful queen. You have Mordecai who's outside the gate and hears of this plot, and then God makes him great. You have Haman who thinks there's a parade coming to celebrate him, and he ends up on a pole, impaled. You have this pagan prince who is now a pawn in the hands of Yahweh. You have a fast that takes place when the Jews hear of their demise. And then when they overpower them, it turns into a feast. The Jews experience tremble, and it turns into triumph. They're staring down a route, and they're rescued instead. You have a selfish king gives way to the power of a selfless Mordecai. And then you have a book of coincidences, and by the end, we have conviction that God is in charge. And then uh, this two-day celebration. The day that was meant for death is now a day of rejoicing. And we'll see later. It sounds like another day that was meant for death that turned into rejoicing for us. But let's summarize a few things about this battle scene that happens. It happens in this uh, condensed area called... um, the the citadel of Susa, as the battle moves into day two, uh, it spreads out into these 127 provinces. Uh, Based on the text that we have in front of us, I counted 75,810 soldiers taken out in this battle. And the Jews had an opportunity here, um, based on the edict by the pagan king, to plunder their enemies three different times. I think it's important to note that they chose not to do that. Plunder in that time, would, uh, at, at its very base form, would be um, an army that was uh, walking in victory would take the armor from the defeated army, take it back to their city and pin that armor on the wall as a reminder of who's in charge now. It could have also been the taking of that country's or, or that army's idol's their possessions, and at very um, worst, their women and children, and the Jews chose not to plunder their enemies, which you can read a lot into that. It does seem like, based on what's happening in the story, was an act of grace, and we know that in the gospel, uh, grace prevails. Well, once we see this table turn, there's this Feast of joy that ensues, and it's where we begin to understand this festival that we call Purim. We're going to pick it up in verse 22 of chapter 9. It says, as the time when the Jews, they were to celebrate this based on Mordecai's command in verse 22, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, their sorrows turned to joy, mourning into a day of celebration, they're to practice days of feasting and joy, and, and this is pretty cool, giving Presence of food to one another. Okay, I can buy into that one. All right, I'll take some of that. But also, these gospel shades of grace, gifts to the poor. And in their celebration, there's some great commandment happening here. It's not just about look who we triumphed over by the hand of the Lord. It's no, in our feasting and celebration, let's be a blessing to one another and let's be a blessing to the margins, let's be a blessing to the poor. And as you move through the story there in verse 24, we understand, why do we call this Purim? What is that? It sounds strange. It simply comes from that root word, pure, which is the singular version of the word lot. Haman cast a lot. He cast a pure um, to have them killed. As it was turned on them, it turns into a two-day celebration. And there's a lot of comments from commentators on what the plural form means, but we it's it's called the festival of Purim. Some think it's because it was celebrated over a two-day window. But this feast of joy was given to them as a way to remember the faithfulness of God and to celebrate what God did that they could not do on their own. In verse 28 of chapter 9, you can see it highlighted there on the screen. It says this, these days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, in every province, in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. It's supposed to be a generational reminder that's passed on, and this story is told over and over again. Look what God did similar in some ways to the Red Sea, the Exodus story that was to be passed on across generation. Look how God rescued us. Here's another rescue story. Now, for you foodies out there, I wanna have a little fun with this. There's a lot of, just as the tables were turned, there's another theme that you could maybe, um, you could find in, the, in this book of Esther, and it's called follow the food, all right? Now, hear me out here. I don't have all this on the screen, but there's at least 23 Different references to food here. In 1-3, King Xerxes throws a banquet for his nobles. In 1-5, he throws a banquet for all the people in the citadel. In 1-9, Queen Vashti, she holds a banquet for all the women. In 2-9, Esther begins her beauty treatments, and she's given special food, organic, no doubt. King Xerxes... Then, in 2.18, throws a banquet for Esther. Then the first edict, the news comes out. It begins a fast, weeping, mourning among the Jews. And then Esther requests that Jews in Susa fast for three days as she prepares to go make her request before the king to find rescue and relief. And so her attendants join her in the fast in 4.16. And then Queen Esther holds a banquet for the king. And for Haman in seven one, and then a new edict comes out and feasting begins in eight seventeen, and then there's a day that they rested from that battle. That's the second day, and they continue to feast in nine seventeen, and then as I noted earlier, the celebration of this relief from their enemies uh, continues into days of feasting and uh, food presents are given to one another. We don't know the story of Esther. Follow the food. Follow the feast. You follow the feast and the Jewish traditions. That's how you learn and understand their salvation story. We follow the food. But at the end here, we see this kind of the capstone of this book, this little three-verse section here. After the feast, we see a Jew exalted, and his name is Mordecai, and as we said, it's Esther's cousin. Verse 2, All his acts, the acts of the Persian king and his might, together with the full account of who? The greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted. Are they not written? The book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? And in verse 3, Mordecai, the Jew, was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, held in high esteem by many of his fellow Jews. Why? Because he worked for the good of his people and he spoke up for the welfare of of all the Jews. It sounds a lot like another Jew that would come who would work on behalf of the welfare, the people. And on behalf of them, he would offer himself up as a selfless act to give us life. Well I want to leave us with this phrase. We're going to spend a few minutes here. This idea of intentional remembrance. This festival was designed for each generation to tell the story of what God did to remember. Intentional simply means to think through and act with purpose or intent. It's a thoughtful remembrance, and Purim was that for this group of people. In fact, they would actually read excerpts from this story of Esther when they would, they continue to do this to this day and the children will dress up in costumes and the young girls will dress up in um, costumes of some of the famous women that God used in the Old Testament. They still celebrate it to this day. But this is my question for us. What story of God's faithfulness do you need to remember through celebration? As an individual, in your community group, in your family, what story of God's faithfulness do you, We're going to bring this into our century here, do you need to remember through celebration? I would encourage you to use existing holidays as markers to remind you to tell those stories. I have a friend, and he takes the month of November and puts up a big piece of paper on a wall in his home, and throughout the month, he and his wife and his children, they write down blessings from the previous year. It's their wall of remembrance, if you will. They celebrate the whole month of saying, look what God has done. This is what we're grateful for. There's not a Thanksgiving share service usually that goes by. My oldest son, Nate, was born on Thanksgiving. And it was a reminder to us of God's faithfulness. We had miscarried our first pregnancy. And God gave us Nate. And over the following months, um, through a series of uh, me walking out to the mailbox, we received these cash envelopes with no um, with no address on them, uh, cash folded up into these piles of paper. I still don't know who did it, but they equaled within $100 of all of our medical meal, bills that were due for Nate's birth. And so I tell that story in this room, probably every Thanksgiving share, because of what God did. I use the That Thanksgiving share service is a day of remembrance for me. Some of you, you're in here this morning because you've had a day of freedom, whether it be from a hurt, a a habit, a hang-up, a sin you were entangled in, an addiction. But there's a day of freedom in your journey. And that day of freedom marks something that's different now from that day forward about you and where God has you in this place. I wanna encourage you to celebrate on that day. Go out to eat with those that are important to you and celebrate what God did because you couldn't have done that without him. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, your day of freedom. Maybe that's your day of celebration. I know Michael and Lee Smith, and we were trading texts last night, they celebrate the day that they brought Lucy home. It's their gotcha day. And they have a meal with the family every year, whatever your day is. Well, this past Thanksgiving, uh, we made our way over to Mountain Home. Um, This is uh, my wife, um, this is our extended family. And so Pam's sister, Judy, my brother-in-law, George, the grandchildren, and uh, this is us on Christmas, and then Grandpa Boyce is there in the back. And about 14 months ago, uh, Grandpa Boyce um, he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, and it was all over his back and um, his bones there, and he uh, wasn't looking great. And so um, Grandpa Boyce found his way to UAMS um, for 37 days of chemo treatments and stem cell treatments, and Miss Pat was there right along the side 35 of those days. She was sick two days. They had to get her out of there. But she stayed in the room with him during that time. And so all last year, they battled through tests and treatments. And, uh, and Boyce, eventually, he lost his hair, and he had kind of that late 60s look a little bit. And um, so we sat here on Thanksgiving this past year. It was a Friday, and we were all gathered um, that, that Thanksgiving weekend. We gathered around the table. And uh, George and Judy, uh, my brother and sister-in-law, they're foodies, and they do a great job um, putting together a, a Thanksgiving spread. It, it's, it's thoughtful. It's fresh. Usually there's some kind of story about where the meat came from, whether it was a hunt or whatnot. And, um, and we just enjoy hours of conversation. Well, we finally gather around the table, we've got our new daughter-in-law. We've got our future daughter-in-law with us there now. There's like 14 of us in there. We're gathered around the table, and, um, and we begin to go around and tell stories of God's faithfulness this past year. And we got teenage boys that are tearing up, mind you, telling these stories. And then we get to then we get to grandpa boys. And he begins to tell stories. story. By the way, he's got a full head of hair. And he begins to celebrate the nurses. God's sovereign hand through surgeons and technology, the prayers of his church, Eastside Baptist Church, over in Mountain Home. Many of you actually prayed for him as well. And this day, Boyce is still with us. And this story in our family has been a story of the faithfulness of God. Now, mind you, that's not everybody's outcome. And I understand that. I have a friend right now who just got news, and it's not trending voice's direction. But this story in our family is a story that's got to be told. Generation to generation, look what God did. And I'm sure that every holiday we're going to bring some of these stories up, and as it continues to grow, we're going we're to hear more details about what God did there in the hospital. What's your story that you need to be remembering through celebration? Well, we have a story. It's a bigger story. It's called the gospel story, and we celebrate it. It's called communion, and we're going to do that here this morning, revisit our big themes here, a table turned, a feast of joy, a Jew Exalted. Generations later, we continue to tell this story when we celebrate what God did, the cross and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, when we consider the intentional remembrance, when we consider a table turned. It sounds a lot like, to me, another day when the tables were turned, not on Haman, but on Satan. And at the cross, what seemed as certain victory for him, was the end. In fact, we know in Colossians chapter 3, 2 and 3, the tables were turned and and those principalities of darkness were mocked. And what was meant for death gave us life. The tables were turned at the cross and the crucifixion. The resurrection was a feast of joy, not just that morning, but in the days that would ensue. And his disciples walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They're not sure who this man is. He begins to explain through the Old Testament stories of the fulfillment of these prophecies. And it's not until they follow the food. You see, this bread of life was now walking with them, the one that fed the 5,000, the one that upon betrayal found himself in this Last Supper experience. He's walking on the road to Emmaus, He stays with them. They're in this room. He eats the bread. Their eyes are open. And then there's some fear, and then he appears back with them, and then he eats some fish. And then we see later he's eating fish with Peter, restoring him. It's resurrection joy. It's a feast of joy. And then we see in Acts 1 and at the end of the other gospel accounts, we see someone rise to prominence. Not just second in rank, but God says in Philippians chapter 2 that this one, this rescuer, this better Mordecai would be elevated to the name that is above every name. He would be the Jew who would be exalted. My church family, there's a greater feast that's coming our way. You've been invited into it and it's because Esther points us to something much bigger than this festival of Purim it points us to the good news of the gospel and you've been invited into that the gospel story it's coming as the elements are past I would ask you to hold those and as you hold them not only reflect on what God did in and through his son Christ but also reflect on God's faithfulness to you, that story that you need to tell over celebration. Pray with me. Father, um, thank you for your faithfulness to your people, for your rescue of them, for the story we now tell that points us to a much greater story. God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the conviction that you gave Esther and Mordecai. God, I pray that you would help us trust that you are in control of the kings and princes of this earth. God, I pray that you would remind us, um, even today, this week, of those things we need to celebrate as we remember your faithfulness. In Jesus' name.
3: body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah and all the sing this with us who praised the... Priesthood. Oh, Search the world
6: The bread of life was broken that we could attend a much greater banquet. It's in our future. Take and eat, remember. The feast of joy, the blood that came from the cross would take him to the throne. The name that is above every name, take. Take
1: and drink.
0: We've been singing this song as our benediction, as a reminder to one another that God is in control, that no matter our circumstance, that he holds us in his arms. This is our benediction. This is our blessing over one another to remind each other. Let's sing this together. someone just through on my left, through your right, this doors right up there.